You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning, church. I get the privilege today of announcing our teacher today, uh, Jonathan Dodson. Jonathan, yep. Jonathan joins us as one of our newest members of staff and is just proof that God is so good to us. He is a talented writer and teacher. We're thankful to have him. He joins us with his wife, Robbie, and they have three kids. They come from Austin, where he planted a church in Austin and was the lead pastor there. So uh, we are so thankful to have him and just uh, ask that you'd give him a warm citizen's welcome. Thank you for that warm welcome. It's great to be here. Uh, we, uh, <clears throat> we got here about three months ago, and uh, we have been living in Airbnb to Airbnb to Airbnb, trying to find a house. We put five offers on, and the first four obviously didn't make it, but we got an offer accepted, and we are moving in tomorrow. <laughs> so we're excited. Uh, we love this church. Um, and we are excited to put down roots uh, in this community and to follow Jesus with you. So it's a a pleasure to be here, a privilege to be here. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are present, that you are here in the preaching of your word, that you are here inhabiting the prayers of your people, that you are here enthroned upon the praises of the saints. You are here. We pray as the text, Jesus, you spoke, your manifest presence would be with us as your word, Christ, is proclaimed. Meet us wherever we are, whether we are struggling or whether we are encouraged, whether we are suffering or whether we are in comfort. Lord Jesus, would you come and would you shepherd us? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Am I safe? Should I change careers? Am I loved? Should I retire? These are what philosophers call transformative questions. Why? Because the answer changes you. And there's not just transformative questions, there are also ultimate questions. Ultimate questions like, does God exist? Is there an afterlife? Who is Jesus? What does it mean to be united with Christ? Uh, These questions, ultimate questions, are meta-questions because they touch And they influence the transformative questions. They are the biggest questions of life. And so we're looking this morning at these meta questions. Who is Jesus? And what does it mean to be united to him? Well, what's the answer? Let's go straight to the source. Jesus Christ, John 14, verse 20 says, On that day, you will know me that I am in my Father, that you are in me, and I am in you. 
Essentially, he's saying Jesus is greater, Jesus is bigger, and Jesus is smaller than we might think. Jesus is greater. He gives this answer in the midst of a long conversation with his followers. He says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father. Now, what could this possibly mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be in the Father? Why would he say, I'm in my Father? Up to this point, these Jewish disciples have been worshiping Yahweh, the covenant God who rescued Israel out of Egypt and made Israel his firstborn son. In other words, they see Jesus as their father. But Jesus isn't saying, oh yeah, I, I was rescued also by our father. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am in my father. It is a staggering claim for a faithful monotheist to hear. He's not saying, um, I'm beside the father. He's saying, I'm in the father. He's not saying, I'm beneath Yahweh. He's saying, I am in Yahweh. He's not saying, I'm close to God. He is saying, I am in God. Jesus is inscribing himself within the Godhead and making a staggering claim. Uh, Centuries later, the church fathers uh, put together the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed describes this relationship between the Father and the Son as consubstantial, that is, sharing the same divine substance as co-eternal, as eternally belonging together. Jesus Christ is the consubstantial, co-eternal God. He's not claiming to be a a mere Messiah, but to be God himself. He's reworking their conception of God. So how does this um, answer to an ultimate question, who is Jesus? How is this an answer? Well, it brings the real Jesus into focus, doesn't it? It it, it clarifies our perception of who Jesus Christ is. Is it, it sharpens our understanding of his divine greatness. He's not saying, follow my commands. I'm a great example. Although he does say, follow my commands. He says, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. You'll keep my commands. Now, to love someone, you have to know them, right? You don't love someone you don't know. To love someone, you must know them. Just a few months ago, uh, uh, Jamin and Adam and and Joe were just pictures on a website to me. But over the last three months, I've gotten to know them and to to talk deeply with them, to wrestle with issues, to pray with them, to work with them. And I have come to love them. I know them. Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you love Jesus? If Jesus is just a picture to you, a distant figure, well, then you won't keep his commands, and you can't love him. 
For that, we need to know the real Jesus. Well, who is he? He's the ineffable God, the consubstantial, co-eternal, second person of the Trinity. Jesus is God. He is in the Father, not simply beside the Father. And if that's true, if that's true, why do we so easily lose sight of his greatness? A few weeks ago, the band U2 launched their residency at The Sphere, a spherical concert venue. There's 167,000 speakers. There's 1.2 million LEDs, 16 by 16K, a spectacle. And I was reading the reviews after the first few shows as they began to come in. And, and as I read the reviews, I noticed that people tend to talk more about their experience of the videos and images than, than the band on stage. And so people said things like, you know, amazing, this changes live music forever. Uh, one person said, I don't even know who you 2 is. I just came to experience the venue. And do you see what's happening here? Pursuit of the spectacle obscures our perception of greatness. You say, what greatness? Well, the greatness of the greatest rock band ever, right? You too might be getting tickets. A band that's been together for 40 years making music that people describe in euphoric terms. You see, the real talent was lost in the morass of the shiny things. The true marvel is obscured by, by the images. And if we're honest, we're not too different than those concert goers. A sociologist describes Americans as people in pursuit of serial experiences, moving from one experience to the next, one TikTok to the next TikTok, one iPhone to the next iPhone, one cowboy game to the next cowboy game, one career to the next career one church event to the next church event, a people of distraction, a people of spectacle. Our pursuit of the spectacle obscures the greatness of Jesus Christ. And although deep down we all have these ultimate questions, we distract ourselves with spectacular experiences. We, we want wonder, but we settle for a wow. We want to experience awe, but we, we, we accept just a distraction. How do we gain awe? How do we gain love for Jesus, the real Jesus? Well, it's by grasping union with Christ. And so Jesus is greater than we think, but Jesus is also bigger and smaller. Uh, he, he says next, uh, in that day you will know that you are in me and I am in you. So what does he mean? Um, think of union with Christ as like a, a Matryoshka doll. You know those Russian nesting dolls? There's a, there's a big uh, nesting doll and you open it up and inside you'll find a medium-sized uh, nesting doll. You, you open the medium nesting doll and hiding inside there is an even smaller 
dull. And when we are in Christ, we are placed into the, the greatness, the bigness of Christ. We, we are placed into his redemptive benefits, forgiveness and peace and joy, harmony with God. We, we are encompassed by his righteousness. We are surrounded by his loveliness. To be in Christ is to be placed into the grandeur of his glory. To be united with Christ is to be placed into the big figure of Christ. And when we do, his death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. His future becomes our future. See, to be in Christ is to be so close to Jesus that we inhabit his very being. We exist within the orbit of his perfections, his undying love, his holy righteousness, his ever-present tenderness. To be in Christ is to be placed inside the grandeur of his glory. So how does this answer influence those other transformative questions? One of humanity's basic needs is security, a, a, a sense of psychological security and inner peace. Uh, everyone is looking for this. If you don't have it, you'll try to get it from people and what they think of you. You may be fearful of what people think of you. And to, to, to try and gather security from the thoughts of others, what they think of us, what they believe about us. We all are longing for security. And union with Christ produces a profound sense of security. It means that everything that needs to be done for God has already been done for God by Jesus Christ. There's nothing else to do to impress him. Jesus has impressed him on our behalf. You couldn't be more secure than being in Jesus Christ, it's the securest place in the cosmos. Buffered by his redemptive benefits, immersed in his accomplishments, secured by his, his consubstantial deity. Satan often attacks that sense of security, doesn't he? I'll be driving down the road and I'll hear these accusations. You know, you, you, you're not a good father. Um, you should have done more work today. You're not loving your wife the way you should. And while some of those things may be true, they're not the truest thing about me. The truest thing about me, about you, is that we are immersed in the righteousness of Christ. Surrounded by his loveliness. And that is how God sees us in Christ. Being in Christ means we don't inhabit our failures, but Christ's successes. It means that we can speak back to those voices. We can respond to those accusations. With confidence, we can say, in Christ, I've done more than enough. <laughs> in Christ, I am secure. 
In Christ I am righteous. To be hidden with God in Christ is to be so locked away, so secure, so profoundly uh, immersed that we are actually beyond Satan's condemning reach. Our worth becomes Christ's worth. There's no security like that. Jesus is greater. Jesus is bigger. And Jesus is smaller. You will be in me and I will be in you somehow. Some way Jesus fits into his followers. He's that small nesting doll inside of us. So how does this happen? <laughs> Through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Just a few verses earlier, Jesus says, better that I go away, I will send the helper, the Spirit who will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Paul describes him as the Spirit of Jesus. He said, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus comes down into you and, and imparts the presence of Jesus. As small Jesus as the Spirit is the divine glue of our newly constructed relationship with Christ. And when he comes down into our hearts, into this kind of diminutive and tiny size, it's not so much security that he gives as it is intimacy. It's not so much strength around us, but loving presence within us. You say, well, how, how does this influence the transformative questions? Perhaps the most fundamental question that any human will ever ask is, am I loved? Am I loved? And this question takes on a, a particular longing, a particular intensity when we feel alone, when we feel isolated, maybe even abandoned, and especially when we are suffering. An intimate Christ. There was a season when I was so emotionally broken, I couldn't even go to work. <laughs> I, I, I was so devastated that for two months I had to take off of work. And it was during this time that I... I search not so much for the greatness of Christ or the bigness of Christ, but for the smallness of Christ. And it became profound to me that the, the Christ is tiny enough to inhabit my sorrows, to live within my sufferings. And I encountered a Jesus who wept with me, who suffered with me. And if you are united with Christ, you have a tiny Christ who is intimately weeping with you present with you, sympathizing with you. He inhabits us, and we inhabit him. Maybe this morning you need the tiny Jesus. You need the small Christ to, to come take up residence in your battered heart, in your bruised ego, in your uh, suffering soul.
He's here. He's in you. He's present. Or maybe you just need to see how big Jesus is. He's way bigger than any of your entertainment choices. He's way bigger than anything that you could ever distract yourself on, no matter how much it costs. Jesus is grand. Jesus is infinitely great. Wherever we are, the truth is we need both of them. We need the big Jesus and the little Jesus. We need the great Jesus. We need all of Jesus. We need all of Jesus. All sizes, all dimensions, every aspect, we need Jesus. But there's a threat to enjoying all of Jesus, and it's this. It's a lie that union with Christ is just a concept to be embraced, not a person to be experienced. Union with Christ is, is just a uh, principle to affirm, not a person to adore. But Jesus says this. He says, in that day you will know. You will know. And this word know has a kind of personal benefit embedded in it. That there, it, there's an objective knowing and there's a subjective knowing, right? There's a, I know the facts and then there's a, I know the person. And this is, this is the latter. Uh, it's knowing intimately. If someone comes by and says, oh, you know, do you know so-and-so? And you say, yeah, I know them. You might say that because you, objectively you know who they are. But if you really know them, if you're close to them, you might say something like, oh, no, I grew up with them, or they're in my small group, or she is my best friend. We clarify the kind of knowledge because it's an intimate knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. Do you have that knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because until you have that knowledge of Christ, you won't enjoy the benefits of Christ. He's a picture in the distance, not a person in your soul. And he is standing this morning. He has suffered on your behalf, and he is saying, know me. I want to live in you intimately. What's the point? Christ is calling us friends. Jesus Christ is calling us friends. He's beckoning us to know him. How do you do that? How do you know Jesus? Kind of like you'd know a best friend. You talk to them, you listen to them, you include them. How do you know Jesus? You include Jesus in your life, just like you'd include a friend in your life. You don't just text them, you hang out with them. You talk to them. You don't just talk to them when things are great, you talk to them when things are really hard, right? You include them in all aspects of life. You want them to almost experience your life as you experience it because you love them so much. What would it look like for you to include Jesus Christ in your life a little bit more? Maybe it begins tomorrow morning waking up with a prayer. Jesus, I've, you feel distant, but I want to be close. Maybe it begins today by crying out, Jesus, I need you to be tiny. I need you to meet me in my sorrow. Maybe it just begins with, I need you to be big. I need you to encompass me with that redemption that forgiveness because I can't redeem and forgive myself. I need your redeeming grace. How is all this possible? How? Jesus says it's possible in that 
day. What day? What day? He says uh, in verse 19, just before this, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. How is it that the world would not see Jesus, but his disciples would see Jesus? The next verse, Jesus goes on, because I live, you will also live. What's he saying? He's, he's referring to his resurrection that's coming. And when Jesus rises from the dead, they'll see him, but the world won't see him. They won't acknowledge him. They won't know him. He's saying, you're going to inhabit a world in which resurrection is possible. Not only is it possible, it's actual. You're going to inhabit a world in which redemptive benefits can surround you, in which Jesus Christ can dwell in you. You're going to live in a risen world where I am in you and you are in me. Endless security. Unwavering intimacy. St. Augustine said, um, Jesus Christ is closer to you than you are to yourself. You want to know who you are? Look at Jesus. Call upon Jesus. Include Jesus, the big Jesus, the great Jesus, the tiny Jesus. My daughter recently got a Ford Bronco. And uh, she turned to me the other day and said, Dad, since I got the Bronco, I'm seeing Broncos everywhere. And it wasn't until she got into the Bronco that she was able to see the Bronco world. And in a similar way, it's not until you get into Jesus that you can live in the resurrected world of Christ. Where we experience security and intimacy and grandeur. It's not until you're in Christ that you understand how magnificent Christ is. That day that he's talking about is today, friends. Jesus is a risen Christ. He is big. His arms fit around you, and he says you're righteous. And he is small, and he is tiny, and he fits inside of you. And he is intimate and close. Will you turn away from chasing serial experiences for spectacles and turn to the true Savior? Absorb his true greatness. Enjoy his perfect security. Settle into his intimate love. He is inviting us today to know that I am in the Father. I am in you, and you are in me. See, Jesus is greater bigger and smaller than we've ever dared imagine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are beyond adequate description, and yet we are so easily distracted. We ask for your forgiveness today, Lord, those of us that have been preoccupied with spectacles, and we ask for the Spirit of God to recalibrate and open our hearts to your grandeur, to your all-encompassing goodness, and to your inward, intimate presence. In Jesus' name, amen.